Power Athlete Nation. Thanks for joining us today for episode 81. Today we'll talk with the amazing Angie Sorensen out of Loyola University. She heads the strength and conditioning programs there for track and field, as well as the men's volleyball team who happened to win the 2014 national title. No big deal. Angie brings a ton of experience to the table as she discusses balancing the dynamic with sport coaches, being effective with her athletes, and her future projects with Aleco. Angie definitely knows her shit and it is coming at your ear so hard right now on Power Athlete Radio. This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny K, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. What's up, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to Power Athlete Radio, episode 81. 80 fun. 80 fun. Uh, I'm here with John Cali Texan Luke. Luke, for just a few minutes. Uh, he's in and out, so you may he's not hear me. All right, so we're, you know. I mean, he's in at, he's at in in and out. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw him some quick love, but. Yeah, we're here. We're going to rock and roll. We got a great guest. We got a great show lined up. Um, but first, Callie, we've been getting a lot of good feedback on your your intro and <laughs> the commercials that were added on uh, the last episode of Power Athlete Radio. Yeah, there was some feedback. Uh, I deleted all the negative comments. No. <laughs> yeah, we got two comments. So. Listen, I'm, I'm just like a, I'm like a – a baby bird just spreading her wings. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. So I'm just trying to uh, add some quality, add some experience to the podcast, and try to improve upon the perfection that already is Power Athlete Radio. That's uh, a yeah. great confidence in your part. I'm <laughs> really enthusiastic about this whole thing. <laughs> I, you know, I think anytime you add, you know, when the, the first thing a listener hears is a woman's voice, like interest sparks immediately. <laughs> I think that's like a proven fact. Yeah, it's very sexual. <laughs> I, I disagree with that. The right. I hear a woman's voice, I just mentally turn off. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. If so, it's I mean, a hollering voice, John! Yeah, well, I mean, as soon as I hear women's voices, it just instantly, I just go into like uh, sleep mode. For I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I have thought about how, and I don't know, maybe, maybe Angie. I don't know, maybe she can relate, but I have thought how in this business of being a woman, how maybe my voice is not the best one to appeal to the masses, but, and, and there's something wrong with being a, a, a chick doing what we do, but it's just kind of like, I want this show to be as successful as possible. And so maybe, maybe the girl's voice will help. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Who knows? Nobody knows. We got two, uh, Great positive comments. <laughs> like you said, all the negative ones you deleted, got rid of that. So it's a good start. Still batting a thousand there, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I created two uh, new Twitter accounts, and um, and that's that's the purpose that they serve currently. So. Nice. All right. Well, uh, our guest on today's show is Angela Sorensen. Um, just a quick history. Her and I met a few years ago. Um, at various seminars in like the Chicago area, um, 
she actually trained at a, like Alico used to have a, like a sports training center in Chicago. Um, I met her there a couple of times as well at a couple of seminars. I think, what was it, Andrew? It was John North's. And uh, you guys had Shankel there. Uh, we did. We had we had both of them there. Uh, Shankel yeah. is probably more my favorite of the two. <laughs> well, he's got the smaller head, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> it was hard for John North to get through the door. His head was so big, but oh, literally or figuratively? Figuratively, this oh, guy well. loves himself. Yeah, he, he seems to really like himself. Who, and, uh, John North? He's yeah. A big, he can make an internet fighter too. I've seen him fight a lot of people on the internet. So Angie, yeah. Angie, what was it like working with them? I'm completely hijacking this because I'm interested in uh, like what what those two dudes were like. And honestly, no one listens to this podcast. So. <laughs> Um, Shankle is actually pretty awesome because he's uh, extremely smart and very to the point. Um, whereas, you know, John North has been around the sport a while and he is a strong individual, but uh, he does like yeah. to hear himself talk. But um, what I liked about Shankle is that he can get into sort of like the psychology behind a lift. Like he can tell just by your demeanor and how you're looking, like whether you're actually going to make the lift that you're about to take. Um, and, right. He knows he knows how to approach an individual, uh, you know, in terms of like, like coaching and and cueing and like this is what works for this lifter, but it's not going to work the same for that lifter. And it uh, it was kind of cool, you know, just because it was you know the very short amount of time that he was with the particular group that we had in there, like he got to the core of you very quick. Yeah, and he could like he he seems like the type of person who might be able to understand the nuances of coaching and. Yeah, John North is more of like take a machete and hope that that works as opposed to a scalpel. <laughs> My favorite Donnie Shankel story was I was uh, walking uh, out of an airport. I can't remember what airport it was, but somewhere we were traveling as I was leaving the airport. I'm like walking past the security checkpoint, and I look, and there's a big sheet of glass, and I see Donnie Shankel going through security, and he's just sporting a wife beater. Yeah, that's his and, that's Yeah, his that's uniform. like his uniform is the wife beater. Yeah. And I, I just started laughing, and like I, I think I think I screamed his name. He like looked around all nervous, you know, just kept walking. But uh, it was yeah. definitely like any dude that just straight up rocks a beater all the time. It's uh, that's class. I mean, yeah. that's that's Philly class right there. I haven't seen that since, since like the when I looked at shirt. Sure, it's like a dollar fifty shirt. Yeah. So, I oh, mean, yeah. But that's it, John. I figured you were gonna like somehow go into a story about how you hooked up with him and you guys went out and. You nope. toured with Seven nope. Dust and nothing like that. I've, I've, I've never really ever met him. I uh, never really never had any inter interaction other than like seeing him on the uh, you know on the internet and sure. You know, uh, CrossFitters love to make like memes of him and like you know, he's, he's got a, He seems to have like a cool persona. Yeah. Um, and he... Well, that, that, that he's also like an older guy and he he's you know, not a spring chicken in any way and he kind of like fought through a lot of injuries and has gone back and forth. And, uh, uh, you know, he's definitely a crowd favorite, so that's the way I know strong him. type. And well, then I saw him, probably I saw him rocking a beater. Voice. Yeah, yeah, he has a very moving-sounding voice. He has a voice of an, an elderly black man. Yes, is... very much so. Um, after that <laughs> guy that we had in Chicago, we, uh, we took him to a Brazilian steakhouse, and that was pretty awesome to watch him just sit there and eat for, like, like an hour and a half straight, just meat uh. on meat on meat. <laughs> I would pay. I would pay to watch Johnny Shankle eat and listen to me. What? Oh, that's, that's well, uh, you were, uh, we went to an all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouse with you, and you ordered vegetables. I, uh, I had to get salad. 
Yeah. That, so. that was an off day. <laughs> I had I had steak for breakfast. Um. All right. Sorry to hijack it. Go ahead, Denny. Oh, I was gonna say. Um. So yeah, we hooked up to those seminars. Uh. That was at the Alico Sports Center down in Chicago when they had it there. Um, I had brought a few groups down from our gym just to kind of get Angie's eyes on them to kind of clean up some of their technique. But uh, shoot, Angie, mean am I missing anything? That's that's pretty much. Uh, uh, I think I taught you in the USA level, uh, USAW level one course actually as well. I think you and Jeremy were in there. Yeah, yeah, that was at Loyola, which. Um, that's where you work. Maybe you know, I just give the listeners a little background of what you do for a living and. Um, yeah, my full-time job is um, at Loyola University. My technical title is Director of Sports Performance, um, which is just fancy for saying Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach. Um, currently, my teams are men's and women's volleyball and men's and women's track and field. And when I say track and field, I mean I literally have the entire track and field team. So uh, keeps pretty busy there. Um, on the side, I also uh, consult for Aleco with their coaching education, uh, which I believe we'll be talking about a little bit later. Um, and then for fun on the side, just in case that's not enough, I do coach um, some private weightlifters. You know, they they pay me for my feedback and my coach's eye, uh, which has gotten better over the decade or so that I've been at this uh, sport called Olympic weightlifting. Nice. Um, okay, so the men's volleyball, they, uh, you've had some success there. Uh, yeah, last year was actually quite successful for us. Uh, we won the Division One National Championship for the first time nice. in school history last year. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it, it was actually pretty awesome because we also won it on our home court, which is something that not a lot of... Uh, teams have done um, and traditionally it's like a you know like a California team or like an East Coast team that'll win a win those championships so it was kind of nice to bring it home to the Midwest on our home court no less nice um, so like talk about that a little bit um, you, you know one of Ingo Ingo B the power athlete nation knows him um, he's he's kind of in a competitive volleyball um, I figure when he hears his show um, he's gonna get all excited but like what, you know, what approach in strength and conditioning uh, do you like to take with like volleyball players? You know, like a lot of plyos, is there a lot of um, weight training or do you, you know, to do something totally off the wall? Um, you know, it's, it's really great to work with the, vol the men's volleyball team. They give me a lot of leeway to, uh, you know, to, to do what I want to do and they, they have put their trust in me, which I... Uh, really enjoy, but I actually, you know, get them anywhere between three and five days a week. Um, yeah, if it's in season, obviously it's more like three or four days a week. Um, but I do actually, I have actually taught the guys how to do some of the Olympic lifts. Um, and, and usually there is some sort of explosive lift straight off the bat, whether it's a, a power snatch or a power clean. Um, I don't actually have them do like a split jerk or a power jerk, um, but we will occasionally do a push press. Um, Especially, you know, as they start ramping up intensity for practices, I don't, in fact, do a lot of plyometrics with them because they're already getting, you know, thousands of reps when they're out there jumping on the floor. You know, I don't really need to add to that load and that volume in the weight room. That's where I can kind of take the opposite approach and help balance them back out. So if they took a lot of jump reps or they did a lot of swinging in practice, a lot of times 
I will do in, like the quite quite the opposite. I I will do a lot more rowing exercises. Any sort of movement that is opposite of what they've been doing on the floor. It's not necessarily about you know beating them further into the ground doing lifts and exercises that exactly mimic what they do on the floor. For two hours in practice, they just got a thousand or so reps in there. It's my job to balance that back out. Um, that sounds phenomenal. I mean, Tex or Callie, do you have an uh, do you have an opinion on that? Oh yeah, I mean, I I think it's a super smart approach, especially if you can kind of quantify the the type of volume that they're getting in practice, particularly when she said she's working with them in in season. You have them a couple times a week, and they're really getting those reps, um, the plyometric reps, the eccentric movement, like in practice every day. And you, like she said, I think it's super smart to um, make sure that there's balance to that, that uh, to prevent injury. And then I'm sure she's taking that time to maintain their strength and uh, touch on something that probably Tex will uh, maybe want to comment on, which is you know any of their limiting factors. That's probably her her opportunity there. Um, so I guess I'm curious, I'm sure Texas as well, in what you found to be some of these guys and gals limiting factors in volleyball and in track and field. Um, well, you know, especially in volleyball, it's a, it's a side dominant sport, meaning, you know, they're swinging, you know, one sided. So, you know, there's just, it's just repeated there or, you know, very position specific. So you get very dominant in specific movements. So, like, um, I know we had, Danny and I had kind of talked about, you know, trunk rotation, um, you know, toward, uh, some up in that T-spine. And for, like, volleyball, you're opening up the same way when you're getting ready to swing. So they get very one-sided dominant and sort of stuck in the opposite side. So, you know, part of the warm-up when they get into the weight room is there to address some of those those limitations. So like if they're stuck in that T-spine, if they're stuck in a one-sided rotation, then I'll just have them work, you know, get a few extra reps in the opposite direction. Right, whatever the antagonistic movement is. Absolutely. Um, and especially for something like throwing, like because the throwers uh, are some, are the, is a group that I've been working with for the last uh, three and a half years now. That's um, cool. As the throwers, you know, they're, they're spinning and they're releasing heavy weights or they're releasing a javelin or, you know, a disc. And, uh, you know, that is all rotation in one direction. And you know, when they have gotten hurt, it's because it's sort of reached that overuse point. So, you know, in talking with the coaches, I'm like, hey, just so you know, I'm going to have them throw a med ball at our wall in the opposite direction to balance that back out. Um, you know, my job isn't necessarily, you know, to just hammer them further into the ground. It's to make sure that they are, that they are strong, that they are maintaining strength, that we are improving, you know, but more importantly, that they're staying as injury-free as possible. That's a... Uh... That's some great points. I just to kind of uh, pick your brain a little bit. I'm curious about your assessment approach. So you get freshmen in every year, or you have athletes that go away for the summer. You don't know what they were doing, even though you gave them a program. You know, you don't know. And uh, I've re read some studies recently with the FMS, and a lot of them were low scores. But then I found a couple that said, if your score is too high on the functional movement screening, then you're also at a risk for injury. So in those terms of those volleyball players or throwers that are one-sided, they may have or appear great mobility, range of motion, but that also is a limiting factor. So I'm curious of your assessment approach for new athletes 
freshmen or them coming back for the for fall? Um, our, our assessments are, you know, they're, they're constantly evolving and we have used the FMS in the past. Um, uh, it can be a bit cumbersome to use it, especially when you have 60 or 70 athletes that you need to, to run through and you have a, you know, you're like, oh, hey, you know, season starts in three weeks, ready, go. Um, so we've kind of, here at Loyola, we've sort of, you know, cut it down to the bare bones. What is the most essential thing that I need to look for in each of these athletes? So with like volleyball, you know, I, I want to see that their shoulders are, are moving well, um, but the, the pendulum swings both ways, that it can not move at all or it can move too well. And you, you'll cause injury at either end of the spectrum, you know, so like if they score too high on that FMS, they can also be prone to injury because it, that, that pendulum goes both ways. Um, I haven't been completely sold on, say, like a thoracic rotation assessment other than, you know, taking them through some of the actual thoracic range of motion exercises to see if they are stuck in one direction or another. Um, sometimes we'll do it in a seated, um, on like a bench, squeeze the, squeeze the bench with your knees and then you, hands behind the head and you rotate as far as you can one way, okay, now go the other way. Um, the problem is that sometimes that doesn't just come from the T-spine, that comes from like the thoracolumbar area, so a lot of times, you know, they get that range of motion from somewhere else. So when you're talking like developing like, you know, for up and coming coaches, if you're developing your coach's eye, you've got to see where that movement is actually coming from. Yeah, like we always talk about people being so goal oriented. I mean, they're going to find a way to meet the range of motion that you're asking them to do. <clears throat> Um, and that's, that's what's amazing about the human body is it will do just about anything you teach it to do, whether it's a good movement or a bad movement, it will find the easiest way to do it and it will do it to its best of its ability. Um, but, uh, Does that you satisfy know? you, Tex? Oh yeah, that's a great <laughs> answer. <laughs> is she getting your chili hot? <laughs> I, I'm just soaking it all in. <laughs> All right. Angie, Angie, I'm curious kind of how you fell into the world of college strength and addition co uh, coaching. I've, I've met a lot of uh, women college coaches that are pretty high up. And all of them seem to come from an Olympic lifting background versus a sports training background. So I'm curious how you came in all this. Um, I guess like uh, kind of a little bit more background, quick rundown. You know, I've been, I've been a lifelong athlete. I, I did track and field. In, in college, I did the heptathlon, so uh, I can commiserate with all of my athletes. Um, did did volleyball and basketball and softball, and I briefly tried soccer. So I basically tried anything I could get my hands on. Um, but when I was 16, I started lifting, and then when I got to college, I really started lifting for performance. Um, and then halfway through my sophomore year, as a pre-med student, I decided that. That was a terrible decision, and I switched to exercise science because I liked, I liked being in a weight room, and I liked seeing my own performance improve through the weight room and through conditioning, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. Um, I did take a little bit of a detour as a personal trainer because I feel like we've probably all started in that personal training realm at some point in time. Got to pay the bills. Um, I did a, a little stint as a physical therapy aide as well, which is actually probably highly recommended because then then you see it's not just about always about like improving an athlete that's already at baseline and making them better sometimes it's about bringing an injured individual from that injury back to baseline and then improving that so um, 
just having been a lifelong athlete and enjoying weightlifting and being a competitive Olympic weightlifter for the last 10 years um, just made me want to really get into the, the collegiate aspect of that. You know, you, you have those athletes that are kind of specializing in their sport at this point in time, you know, and helping them improve to the utmost of their ability there. I know that eventually it's going to get to this because uh, Tex can – he, he will probably kind of bring up some of his own experiences too, but do you ever run into any issues with the, the sport coach, um, whether it's ideology or implementation or just general um, conflicts between what you're doing in the weight room, um, what they're doing on the field, and getting on the same page? Um, I've been very fortunate here at Loyola to have some great people to work with in terms of sport coaches and actually the support staff and athletic trainers. Um, you know, most of them have trusted me wholeheartedly and just said, hey, you know, this is what we're looking for. Can you do this in the weight room or can you do this during conditioning or can you hit this particular aspect because, you know, these athletes are struggling with it. Um, you know, occasionally I do hear the word, oh, they need to be in better conditioning. I hear that just far too many times for my liking sometimes. But, you know, as long as you maintain an open dialogue with your coaches, and for me it's always about over-explaining why I'm doing something so they understand where I'm coming from. And usually if you explain why you're doing it, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll come on board or you can at least find that middle ground. Um, but there's definitely coaches that are – you know, my way or the highway. This is how it's been done for the last 50 years, so that's how we're going to do it. And we know now with all the research-based stuff that, you know, there are occasionally better ways to do things. Yeah, I really like your your approach to providing value. That's one of the biggest things as a coach that I try to do as well. And it might come across as over-explaining, but I don't really give a shit because the more knowledge I can provide that person with, the more validity there is to you know, whether it's the programming or the movement or what have you. And, uh, you know, it, it helps remind me too, um, you know, am, am I doing this for the right reasons or is this the most optimal way to go about it? But yeah, I think providing value is huge and you're super lucky to have had such a fortunate experience with your sport coaches because I think maybe it could be a little bit more sports specific as to what type of personalities you run into when you're trying to make changes in a system like uh, Texas experience with, um, you know, working working at, in Texas with football coaches and, uh, you know, running into some um, some barriers uh, I, there. Yeah, I will say that, uh, I mean, uh, Georgetown's a pretty relatively small school, so I was able to have an open dialogue with most of the sport coaches, uh, especially the female sport coaches. Uh, but then Texas is a whole different ballgame. And... Quite honestly, if you're winning a national championship as a head coach and you say, hey, our, our run test is a two-mile run, the run test is a two-mile run no matter how much inve uh, you know, how much understanding you try to put behind it. I, that's where I came up with the line, investment comes through understanding, but it doesn't always work. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had, we actually had the same similar conversation today, you know, like if if that's what the coach wants, sometimes you just got to suck it up and do what the coach wants. Um, you know, it's, it's a give and take because, you know, if you do what they want, you know, they'll give you a little bit of leeway to do what you want. Um, and I, I try to tell my coaches and my athletes and, you know, maybe any of the recruits that I talk to when they come through, you know, if at the end of four years of working with these athletes, if they never set foot in a weight room again, 
then, you know, that's that's their choice, but, you know, I want them to at least leave with an education of, you know, how to do something, why they should do it, or why they shouldn't do it. Um, it's just another opportunity to educate these athletes outside of, you know, whatever they happen to be majoring in. You know, they could be majoring in finance, but, you know, they'll have an education in the weight room um, on, you know, proper form, you know, and proper utilization of everything that we're doing in there. That, yeah, that's a great point, that, that kind of empathy and building that understanding with your athletes and the value of we're going to come in, we're going to work hard for you, coach, and then they're not going to hate you. They're not just going to go in with their head down, do the work, and then once they graduate, never leave. So building that relationship, building that empathy, I mean, yeah, you're still grinding them, working hard, but uh, you, know, you don't want to leave them hating you because then – they graduate and they just still hate you. Right. I mean, it, I mean, if you wanted to to develop a good program, you have to have good rapport with your athletes. And if they don't like you, then you're just not gonna be building some of the the foundational stuff that you need to do to be successful. Hmm. So, Ange, uh, just kind of kind of going with that, then um, one of the other projects that you're currently getting ready to launch um, kind of kind of ties in with that um, your passion in the weight room and then uh, how your vision of like building a coach's eye am, am I correct to say that uh, yeah you know um, I mean, if you, you want to kind of go into that like what you what you have in the makings and um, it's really interesting so I uh, yeah uh, so my friend Anna Swisher and myself were hired on by Lego Barbell to create a coaching education course. Um, they wanted to break into the U.S. market. Um, our course, which will be launched, uh, will be putting out the marketing stuff very soon, and it will be launched in January. Um, but it's Olympic weightlifting for the strength and conditioning coach. Um, as we look at the market as it currently stands, there's very much like Olympic weightlifting, and there's very much strength and conditioning. Obviously, we have the CrossFit side as well, which is sort of a kind of a blend of the two, so to speak, but not necessarily sport specific as a strength and conditioning coach would be. Um, but the whole goal of the, the course is to educate coaches on how to educate others. Um, it's, it's one thing to teach you how to lift. It's a totally different ballgame to teach you to teach, how, teach others how to lift. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a huge component. Um, you know, they, they send elementary education teachers, they get sent to school to teach how to teach. Why shouldn't strength and conditioning coaches be the same? Um, so the course that we've created for Aleco isn't just a quick, you know, two-day weekend seminar. It actually has pre-course material where we go over some of the scientific foundations of, you know, like biomechanics, physiology, uh, the responses to weight training or aerobic training. Um, and then when we get into the when we actually get into the two-day course itself, um, the rest of the course is focused on de developing a coach's eye and sort of sort of like a mentorship, and allowing those strength and conditioning professionals to go in and practice coaching other people. And especially with something as technical as an Olympic lift, you know, even some of the breakdowns are can still be highly, you know, a, a power clean from the hang is still very technical, you know from a biomechanics standpoint, and if you want to develop the most efficient, effective athletes, then you need to develop efficient, effective technique. 
And that's what we're really hoping to instill uh, in the, the strength and conditioning professionals that take our course. Um, and then what we've done is taken a little bit more of a unique approach and we've actually given them post-course study materials. So whether it's, you know, at the end of every chapter there's a suggested reading list or here's the references and here's, here's the actual abstracts for those research articles that we were referencing. So it's all research-based, it's all, it's all, you know, it's, it's scientifically backed, um, especially like the, the pedagogy of, 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 a, of all of it, you know. Um, we don't want it to be just a, a quick, uh, I'm going to take your money, teach you how to Olympic lift, and we'll see you later, good luck. We want to actually delve into how to approach educating people, especially at like, say, like a collegiate level where you're working with large groups. If you got a football team, you got a lot of guys in there, so knowing how to break down the lifts and effectively teach them to large group is also a very much a big focus of this course that we'll be unveiling uh, in the near future. Yeah, the I mean the last thing you would want is if if you're going to go in a strength and conditioning field and you be approached by a coach, you know, hey, I want to bring my team in um, to do some work. You know, can you help me out? I mean, the worst thing you want to do is say, you know what? I'm not qualified for that and kind of pass it to somebody else. Nobody would ever say that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And one of the, well, one of the yeah, great things. That would be humility, and uh, most coaches will actually uh, snowball and be like, no, 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 we don't believe in Olympic lifting. Olympic lifting has no carryover to strength in sports. So Just because they do. were unsure of how. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I believe you. I've, I've met a lot of strength coaches who uh, only like to teach hammer strength because you don't really have to teach hammer strength. You know, they just get it and push. I mean, when you start getting into technical lifts, so yeah. it's always, um, you know, people really show their true colors, and you watch coaches fight, like, to guard their little fiefdoms out of mere fear that, like, somebody's going to expose them. That You know, whereas you meet people all the time that are like, you know, that's not really my specialty, but this is what we do. So, I mean, but as Tech said, strength coaches, I'm sure you go ask Benny Wiley, can you Olympic lift? Oh, yeah, I can Olympic lift. Come on, let's go. Um, uh, I got a funny story for off-air for that. Okay. <laughs> Angie, do you is there a uh, like a minimum requirement type thing to attend the course and to even get in? Because you know, um, I know delving into that that material is it, it's dense and providing that kind of homework and prefacing it with um, uh, getting some base level of knowledge before you go in is going to be key to spitting out successful you know attendees on the other end. And we we struggle with that ourselves with our seminar. Um, you know, like as far as like prerequisites, like you don't already have to be a strength coach. You oh, know? okay, yeah. It, it, it's it's based. Um, we we sort of wrote the entire course with the idea of kind of hitting some of those newer coaches or lower level strength and conditioning coaches. So, say for instance, like a high school history teacher that coaches football, and by default, because he's the football coach, is now their strength and conditioning coach. So he's a history teacher. He didn't just study exercise science, you know. He doesn't know biomechanics. So we wanted to try to keep it as clear and concise, but give them that foundational exercise to make them much more effective. If we can, if we can reach some coaches like that, that, you know, aren't necessarily strength and conditioning professionals by trade, you know, then that's going to start developing better athletes that are moving out of like the junior high, high school level and into the collegiate realm that are much more prepared because we're preparing their coaches that much better. But I mean, it's, it's honestly written for anyone who wants to dig deeper into 
you know, why you should use an Olympic lift or on, on the opposite side, why you shouldn't use an Olympic lift in your, sure. in your training program. Because we do, in fact, go over that in the course, um, you know, like this is why you should use it. And here are contraindications to using a power clean from the hang. Um, uh, you know, and everything that we've put with the course, you know, like you can you can print some of these easy reference sheets of of the breakdown of the progressions or the contraindications of you know performing a, a snatch. Does your person have a shoulder injury? Okay, then you know you might want to address these issues first. Um, we we even we even touch on like athlete monitoring. So like you know maybe you only have them for a month or two or maybe you're lucky enough to work with these athletes year-round so you need a way to track progress and not a lot of coaches actually know how to do that uh, yes uh, I, I would agree and um, yeah like I said Tex has a, a lot of experience at the collegiate level um, coming in contact with I'm sure Tex you I mean you've worked with with guys who who play a, a a somewhat significant role in strength conditioning and they're only there because you know their dad somehow got them in or you know they just happen to have the right connections or whatever uh, I think a lot of the the younger guys have been running into it's it's 100% connection uh, but the older guys I mean guys that are pretty high up there now they're they're lightning in a bottle so I mean you can have conversations with them and anyone can them on strength and conditioning but those guys just they get people going. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic, the up and down of it. But the guys uh, so far, you know, that are master strength and conditioning coaches or way high ups, those guys, they can, they can wow a room, they can wow a team, and they can get anybody going. That's why they're there. Well, that takes practice, practice too. <laughs> I mean, I know we're all guilty of it. We, we, we take our little, you know, two-day certification course or we pass the CSCS and we're like, yeah, I know it all. Like, I'm great. I'm so awesome. I'm certified. I can talk everything. But, you know, in the end, it's about continuing to grow as a coach to actually seeking out further education. You know, um, if you're not continuing to learn, you're not continuing to grow. And if you're not growing, then you're just dying. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think a huge component that I'm sure you could agree with is just just mere numbers. You have to see athlete after athlete after athlete and coach person after person to really, um, you know, outside that just the, the scope of knowledge. I mean, trying to gather as much information as possible to have a good breadth of knowledge in coaching, but having the ability to just see like thousands of athletes, I mean, that helps hone the skills tremendously as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they talk about how many reps it takes to get good at a particular movement, but, I mean, it, it takes just as many reps as a coach to develop your coach's eye, um, you know, and you can't learn that in a weekend, you know, so we, we want to we wanna provide as much education on how to develop your coach's eye. Um, sure. You know, and, like, even in the course, we talk about, like, you know, like, this is not the be-all, end-all. This is just something to get you started and to really start thinking you could you should seek out mentorships and people to shadow. You should, you know, you should you should read those, you know, internet articles. You know, take them with a grain of salt. Um, you know, but find some reputable sources to start following and start listening to and to start learning from, so you can develop, you know, your coaching philosophy and your style, and you know, find out what works for you. Yeah, and we, we, you know, that's that's fantastic that you you sort of have that as the underlying theme is to it's just a it's just a means of development and it's not the end all be all. And for for us, we kind of we deem that in our lectures as coaches' responsibility and your responsibility to 
to progress. Um, so um, that's fantastic. That really, I mean, that sounds like a super valuable course. And, and if you have a website for that, we'll be sure to link it up with the show notes. Um, have you already done one already? Have you guys already started or have you done like a pilot one? Uh, we have not launched it officially yet. The marketing materials will come out soon and you can, uh, you'll be able to sign up via the Aleka website. Um, we're actually launching here in Chicago in January. We're going to launch at Northwestern. Um, and this is not just a regional thing because after that we're uh, looking to go to Auburn and UCLA. Uh, I believe Utah State is also in there, so we're we're looking to take this. You know, this is this is a national course that we're, we'll present all over the U.S. Yeah, um, with the backing of Alico, I mean, that's shoot. I mean, that's a that's a great name to kind of be in conjunction with. Uh, yeah, Alico uh, packs a lot of weight with their name, pun intended. <laughs> that place, that performance place, was like. It, I remember going there and just. You know, uh, sometimes on a podcast, John will talk about, like, the the basement training mentality, like, you know, forging these hardcore warriors. And I remember, like, when I saw the name, like, Alico Sports Performance Area, I figured I was going to walk into, like, this, you know, something like the Olympic Training Center. And uh, I was the exact opposite. I mean, uh, it was, yeah. Uh, it was, you, had a, you had cloak off on the wall. So, uh, he's still on the wall down there. By I was going to say, who doesn't have Klokov on the wall? Yeah. Uh, I think we have, have Klokov and Shankle on the wall right now. I mean, what 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 better two people could you have on the wall? Yeah. Yeah. Four um, platforms, a bucket of chalk. You had to go up three flights of stairs to get to the bathroom, which was one bathroom about the size of my closet. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're just there to bang weights. That's I mean, great. you know, strength strength and conditioning can be very progressive, but you know, for me, I'm I'm very kind of old school, like like the the four platforms, uh, you know, a a plastic bucket with chalk and just pick up something heavy and put it down. Sometimes getting back to the basics is what you need, you know. It's, it's some of some of it's human movement. You squat down, you pick it up, you make it look good, and you do it again. Over and over. Exactly. That's where I, I PR'd my. Uh... That's where I hit my 100 kilo snatch. Was there the last time I got that? God damn it! I gotta come and see you, Ange. I know. I mean, you you need my my expert coach's eye. Yeah. But... Well, that's like that facility is still there, right? It's just operated under a different um, a different name. Yeah, it is. It is still there. Um, it's operated as River North Strength and Conditioning right now. Okay. Um, but so, um, we used to have some Aleco weights in there, but Aleco sold them. So, uh. You know, but I'm still down there. You know, it's I, I kind of feel like I'm an underground weightlifting coach a little bit because I do. Like I'll 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 go to like that dirty basement gym and you know watch you sling some weights for an hour and you know fine tune some of your lifts and you know that that's that's what I like. I mean that that speaks to my soul because it's. I mean I grew up in the country. Uh, you know, if you're not flinging hay bales or something else awkward, then you know let's go lift weights. Nice, excellent. Tex, uh, what do you think of um, what do you think of those schools, man? I mean, those are pretty legit, right? Oh yeah, the uh, I gotta make my way out. When uh, I'll make a trip of it, maybe an LA UCLA thing with the whole Power Athlete crew. Yeah, that would be great. We'd we'd love to have you there. Um, you know, uh, I mean, we'll present. I mean, if, if it's something that you guys would be interested in having in your own facility, let us know, and you know, we'd be happy to to present if that's what you're looking for you can come check it out for yourself and see if you like what we do 
Well, you know, Angie, our facility is uh, the opposite of the Lego. We have sterling silver bars, and um, we have Bar. yeah, <laughs> gold gold plated squat racks, and uh, so no, it's well, that's, as long as there aren't any pink dumbbells, we're okay. Oh my God, no, no, not unless they're Chelsea's. Chelsea is one of our uh, power athlete, uh, I guess athletes. She plays for the women's football league and uh, the LFL. She, pink is her favorite color, so anything that I receive, like a t-shirt or something that's pink, automatically goes to her. And then when she, and then when uh, John's girls, probably by next year, they'll be tall enough and big enough to fit into it, and then Chelsea will give it to them. Well, Chelsea actually gave them some of her hand-me-down clothes from last year. Did she really? (laughs) Yeah, she brought my daughter some shorts, and I'm like, did Chelsea just wear these? Yeah, Chelsea. My daughters are three. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is small clothes, but um, yeah, Denny, what else do you want to hit? We need to uh, we need to yeah. to, to milk this interview because uh, I'm super stoked at everything that I've heard so far from Angie. This is great. Well, I mean, if you haven't noticed the way she pronounces Aleko, <laughs> that's uh, like the technical way, right? That's how the Swedes pronounce it. Yeah, um, I've actually been over to Aleko, Sweden, and I've seen them build a barbell, and it's actually pretty amazing to watch them bend that thing in half, and it springs back straight. I mean, 1,500 <laughs> kilograms of force is a lot of force to bend that thing in half, and it comes back straight. So. It bends so, in half. Hey, is it like the beginning of Conan the Barbarian where they... Denny, this is my only gripe with Aleko. Uh, I, we had three Aleko bars, and Ben, who... Uh, one, one of the guys that trained with us, uh, we were doing rack jerks with some jerk blocks, and uh, of course he somehow spazzed out mid-jerk and dropped the bar, and as he dropped the bar, it like shifted over, and this, the uh, maybe about four or six inches off the center section, uh, when it landed, it like hit the corner of the jerk box, and like, you know, thing like kind of snapped uh, like violently and then kind of flung off and I'm like, oh dude, what what happened? Um, so we end up unloading, you know, stripping the bar down. I, I put it in a rack and I roll it and the bar is bent. No shit. I huh. contact the Lico and tell them, hey, um, they wouldn't we, do it. You bent this bar. You know what they told us? Our bars don't bend. It must be counterfeit. Or you know what? The other thing I've heard is like, if they're if it's warranted, you would have had to have done it like on an Alico platform. No, dude, they told us that their bars don't bend, so therefore it must be a counterfeit bar. Here. And I was like, dude, I bought this bar from you, and this is pre-CrossFit. Like, like now you can actually go find this stuff. I mean, I asked Angie before pre-CrossFit. Uh, I had to order Olympic lifting shoes that took like six to eight weeks. Uh, <laughs> if you wanted an Alico bar and Alico training deal, you had to order it from like some weird uh, website that was like a distributor and the stuff took like months to show up and then it shows up in a box and like it was like uh, like you know I think people now through the CrossFit deal are pretty spoiled like you can go to like Big Five and buy Olympic lifting shoes like could it know, be that uh, the bar is meant to be bent in half due to weight on its ends as opposed to impact at oh, a point Oh we totally fucked contact. it up like I'm, I'm not saying that it was their fault like, ben, <laughs> ben fucked that bar up that's why I got a little uh a little piece of tape, and it actually says Ben's bar, and it's the only way. Oh, I thought that that was like a special one that you bought him. No, it's the one he he broke. Oh. So I put Ben's bar on there. I never used it because I thought it was like super fancy. And then mine said, "Don't touch," because I was like, "Don't touch my bar." Oh yeah. But the the thing is, I called him up and was like, "Yo, I mean, like, if if there's a way for me to replace it, like, if I could 
they sent it back or whatever, and they were like, if it bent, it must be counterfeit. You know, like, um, if you talk if you talk to the guy who distributed it, and if it, if this is pre CrossFit, then this is at least ten years ago. I'm betting. Um, well, I bought the bar ten years ago. This was probably in 2008. Um, yeah, that's kind of pre CrossFit. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, like, I hope you did, like, I would contact Aleko directly. They might be able to help you out a little bit. Um, but if you contact, oh, yeah, no, no, this is who we contacted. We contacted Sweden directly because yeah. the guy gave us the runaround. He wouldn't even get back to us. And I contacted Sweden. And then when I was in Sweden giving a uh, seminar, uh, I was like, I want to go out there and go out to this place and go talk to these people because I got a receipt. But it, I mean, we, we've well, since just given Ben the bar with that. I got a receipt. Yeah, I just like threw it down to him. But uh, yeah, I still use all their stuff. And there was foul still, play. And so yeah, you I mean, can't I, in good yeah, conscience we, act for like Yeah, we still have all their bars and plates and everything. I actually have a set of vintage Alico plates from the 80s. That, uh, so this is funny when we went to go work on Newport Harbor High School, which is like no, the... no, no, it wasn't Newport Harbor. Well, we did get a set there. Yeah. But my, uh, we, we went to go uh, visit my buddy Dr. Tom, and, oh, and, yeah. and in his weight room, he had these like old like '80s Alico plates, and I saw him and I was like, dude, can we have these? He's like, oh yeah, these are my first set of plates. So I take them and I had them all vintage, and uh, somebody decided that they were gonna CrossFit with them and broke it in half. Oh. And, and like I came in, I was yeah, like, "That guy should be shot." That, that's why CrossFitters can't have nice things. <laughs> same, same guy that broke the Alico bar. They sure try though, Angie. And same guy that broke the Alico bar broke my Alico plate. Well, I mean that that's why that's why Rogue is so successful because you break those plates in half and you just go buy more, right? I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, when you spend like fifteen hundred bucks on a set of plates, I mean, it's like you know you don't want to. You're like, uh, I'm not going to drop these on concrete. I'm not going to drop them on rubber. Yeah, I mean, I mean. The the weights are made to be dropped, but I mean, like the whole John North thing of you know slamming bars. Like you know, if I if I have a barbell that you know that cost me a thousand dollars for just the barbell, I'm gonna treat it like it's my child. Well, it's attitude based. Nicer, right? probably. That is the old like attitude at all times. Uh, it is. You know, he's he he is his own person. You know, he's uh he has done a bit for the sport. I don't always agree with him. In fact, most of the time I don't agree with him. But well, he, he won a gold medal. Sting, I know his music. I don't listen to it. But... Exactly. Did he win a gold medal? Did he compete in the Olympics? Uh, he did. Did, yeah. he, did he compete in Worlds? Did he win anything? Uh, I don't know. I listen. Has he won a local meet? John, I we, I see what's going on. Okay. Oh, this is John Sarkis. <laughs> I see what's going on. Here. Did he compete in the CrossFit Games like you did? That's the big one, right? I mean, who's the only who's the only athlete on this podcast who competed in the CrossFit Games? And has uh, <laughs> played in the NFL for a decade. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. You know, I, mean, but I really like the pub. The, the actually competing in the CrossFit Games is really the highlight of my athletic career. Those NFC Championship games and hundred career starts and all that stuff in the NFL. That doesn't really matter to me. Well, you know, I I got that. Uh... Loyola Men's Volleyball National Championship ring sitting oh, on my desk right now. I've seen that. I don't have a ring. Uh, they gave you a watch, games, too. And I have yeah, no I did. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm jealous of I, I always wanted a ring, like, whenever we'd go out with guys that would have, like, Super Bowl rings or whatever. I was always like, Fuck. Those dudes so, don't hey, need rings. But don't Bonnie, you get an NFC Championship ring? No, I, mean, I, 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 I played in three games and we lost. Yeah. And we went to Kansas City was the year that the Eagles won and then went, lost in the Super Bowl. But... I remember when I was out in uh, uh, New England, Lonnie Paxton had like three or five rings or whatever he had. He'd, he'd roll them out with like a mall on his fingers, and he's like, what do you got? I'm like, 
got an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, right. But no, I mean that's uh, yeah, I mean that's that's awesome to have. I, you know, especially the amount of work and, and uh, that's really pretty good. I mean, you, you never hear about Loyola necessarily as a volleyball you know uh, national champion winner. I mean. You know, uh, I went to Berkeley, and it was always like UCLA, and those teams were always sort of the big volleyball teams. So that's great. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, men's volleyball, you know, in terms of collegiately speaking, isn't you know one of the, the big sports. It's definitely not one of the big money makers. But um, I've I've been fortunate enough to be able to work with the guys uh, since I came on to Loyola. Actually, they were my very first team, and uh, they've trusted me the whole way, and I've put my faith in them doing what they need to do. Um, I just give them better athletes, and you know they make them into phenomenal volleyball players. Working with a team that I mean I don't know if you've ever played volleyball before, but kind of working with any team, whether it's a thrower or a sport that you haven't played before as a strength coach, what was your approach for finding out what the hell they need? Um, I did actually, in point of fact, play volleyball um, up until a few years ago. Um, I I like to dabble in all of it. Um, you know, some of it is, you know, talking to the coaches, asking, you know, like, hey, where do you see your deficiencies? Like, are they not jumping well? Do they just look weak in general? Do they, you know, are they getting gassed after a long rally? Like, like, what do you need there? You know, and um, a, lo a lot of what I do in the weight room with them is actually geared towards um, preventing injury. So a lot of times after, you know, some of the big lifts, you know, snatch or, uh, squat or front squat or, you know, swing or, you know, any of that basic stuff, I'll actually use rehab-based exercises to, to keep them strong. You know, if they just took a thousand jump reps over the course of the week, then, you know, I'll, I'll do some, you know, hip-dominant rehab stuff to keep those knees feeling fresh. Um, do you take a, like, count or do the coaches count necessarily jumps like they would like a pitcher, for example? So, like, a coach goes in and knows, hey, this is how much we're going to play, and they have an idea of how many jumps, and do they do they load jumping, or is it kind of, you know, just kind of arbitrary, like, hey, we know we're going to practice. Have they ever looked and actually thought, like, hey, this is how many times uh, the athletes are jumping? Just because uh, I worked with a Aussie Rules football team, and when they sent me their, their, uh, their matrix for what they were doing in their training, they were running between, like, five and seven kilometers per practice. And then they, when they sent me the, what they had been doing for their strength conditioning program, it was like three sets of eight to twelve reps, light, you know, light medium reps, and then it was all endurance stuff. And we ended up switching it up, and they ended up doing nothing but like singles, doubles, and triples over eighty-five percent, and like really cut their volume. And actually, everybody got stronger and better because they weren't burning the candle at both ends, which is like what you alluded to. Um, yeah, the the coaches do kind of. I mean, they may not like physically count every rep, but you know, they they do know when it's a little bit more of a, a, a jump heavy. Uh, training session uh, practice for them, um, especially like going into in season. You know they they do a lot of live play, so you know the starters are taking a lot of extra reps. So, you know we don't need to do extra reps in here. Um, but the the coaches are very good at coming in and saying, hey Ange, you know it was a really tough practice. The guys took a lot of swings. They took a lot of jumps. Can we kind of you know balance that out in the weight room today? And you know I have no problem, you know, balancing that back out. Um, with the track and field team, it's great because um, it's it's what I would sort of define as a little bit more of a pure sport, kind of like weightlifting is a, a little bit of a pure sport. Um, and I actually have eight, eight mesocycles for the track team from their coach that tells me exactly like the objective of every cycle that they're doing, what they're doing on 
you know, day one, two, three, four, five, you know, what they would like to see in terms of, you know, weight training during that same cycle. Um, you know, they don't necessarily dictate exactly what I do, but they let me know, like, this is the kind of intensity we're looking for. You know, if it's, if it's, if they need a little bit of recovery, you know, the coaches will come in and just be like, hey, you know, they're, they're beat down. We, you know, we, we achieved our objective of kind of beating them up for four weeks. You know, let's take it easy on them and, you know, we'll do that. So the coaches here definitely keep track of what they're doing and they let me know exactly what they're doing so I can do my job better, which ultimately makes their job easier because their athletes are fresh and feeling good. Yeah, communication is sounds like that's the integral part. If uh, just kind of working with a whole team, I mean, the starters, the seniors, the juniors, the guy that get playing time, would you approach the freshmen or the guys at the end of the bench differently in the weight room? Would you get them those jumps that they're missing in games? Um, sometimes I do, especially if I get some of the, the red shirt players, you know, like the coaches are like, hey, this person's red shirting. They're kind of, they're, they're actually going to come in for extra work. Um, you know, they'll come in for extra conditioning. We'll, we'll get them extra agility. Um, so those, those guys that aren't seeing the same amount of playing time will actually come in and get those extra, those extra reps in. So, you know, should, you know, should a, a guy or girl go down and they need to jump in and play, they're ready to go. Um, so, you know, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, like whatever I do in the weight room makes every last athlete I have game ready. So if the coaches need them, they're there. You got to like that, Tex. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the last thing you want is for that athlete to go out there and just shit the bed <laughs> <laughs> and not be ready. I mean, you know, obviously getting reps in practice helps too, but I mean, if you can prepare them in the weight room the best you can, um, you obviously you're doing your job then. Right, you know, and we're pretty fortunate here at Loyola that we've, you know, I, I hate to overuse the word, you know, culture, but we, you know, we've created that sport culture where, you know, you know, 90% of our athletes, 95% of our athletes actually like lifting weights and coming in and getting that extra work, you know, almost to the point where we got to chase them out once in a while, but, um, you know, it, it helps when you communicate with them, and we have very smart athletes here, so if you explain why you're doing something, even if they don't like it, you know, they'll actually buy into it a little bit more, you know, they might not like power cleaning, you know, because it's, for some people, it's just awkward, it's not, not a natural movement for them, but if you explain why you're implementing it, you know, then they'll buy in a little bit more, and, you know, they'll, they'll work a little harder in the weight room for you, so they are ready for the game. So then you can sit and watch them power clean and just kind of shake your head, <laughs> right? You know, I, I mean, do, you, you I do see those people power clean and you're like, oh, man, that's so graceful and beautiful. And then you get the others and you're like, oh, my God. You just start tying the noose around your neck. You know, I, I do come across that occasionally, but with a, a little hard work and a little bit of diligence, even those people, you know, can have – and have an improvement, if if not in technique, you know, at least in, you know, in attitude for when they approach the bar, they approach the weight room. Um, but I will admit, we do have some fairly strong individuals here, um, surprisingly so. Um, one of our men's volleyball guys can, you know, hang power clean 275, and it's almost just a muscle clean. I'm quite impressed with that. Nice. Uh, Tex, you were, I remember, God, what we were talking about, maybe it was in one of your articles or just like, 
um, through our email communication, you had said that, I mean, the greatest athletes on the field might look the shittiest in the weight room or something like that, right? I mean, um, you remember that conversation we had? Yeah, I mean, the, the, str the strongest guy in the weight room is the strongest guy on the bench. That's what I've seen most of my experience. So it's <laughs> it's kind of getting the, the guys that are the go-hards in the weight room, they'll run through a wall and do whatever and trying to get them to make a connection from their lifts to the field and then taking the guys that are just football players or, uh, you know, throwers, what have you, and then trying to get them to make that connection from their sport back into the weight room. Well, yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen a, a video of, like, Usain Bolt or Lolo Jones working out, it is horrible. But those are freaks in nature. They can get away with some, you know, terrible clean-and-jerk form, and they're still going to be phenomenal. Now, I'm not saying that it couldn't get them injured a little bit, but, like, you know, some people are just going to be naturally gifted on the field, and, you know, but hopefully, hopefully they can benefit from a solid strength and conditioning program, you know, but, you know, like you said, you know, some of the strongest guys in the weight room are those nice little bench warmers too. Yeah, Angie, and then in my experience is like uh, coaches looking from the outside, so they're checking out YouTube, and they're like judging these, these, these strength and conditioning coaches or athletes based on, you know, what that power clean looks like when, like, that guy is an amazing football player no matter what. So they, they're saying, like, oh, this strength and conditioning coach is terrible or this program is awful based off those lifts, you know, and it, it's hard to contain those those athletes. It's hard to get them to listen when they've had so much success just doing what they're doing without any form of lifting. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you get those athletes that have been told that they're great their entire life and have never actually had to work to be great, you know, they're sort of – big fish small pond the whole time when they get to that next level and they just you know rather than putting in the work they just they just settle for status quo like oh I'm already great I don't need to work harder so sometimes sometimes it's hard to battle that mentality um, you know but like it, it, it all boils back to communication but you know sometimes you can reach those type of athletes and sometimes they're just gonna do what they're gonna do and you gotta find that middle ground somehow but sometimes it just doesn't exist all right, so um, <laughs> hold on. Uh, yeah, there's my little one. She wants to watch Pingu. Um, John, do you know what Pingu is? Uh, no, I do not. We are been watching Doc Mix stuffings lately, so we're at the Doc. Oh, the Doc is in. Lucky. Okay. All righty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So we asked you to put together like a a list of your favorite songs that you like to bang weights to. Um, some of those were, you had some interesting songs on there, so what, uh, just to name a few, what came to mind? Um, you know, I mean, every weight room I've ever stepped into has always had like ACDC, but I don't think I actually gave you any ACDC songs. Um, but it's more like, you know, like if I really truly want to lift some heavy weights, it's going to be like, System of a Down, like BYOB or like Stone Temple Pilots, uh, some Pantera, you know, Cemetery That's Gate right. or Walk, right. um, some Rob Zombie. Um, you know, I grew up country, so I'll listen to a lot of country. But like, if I'm really gonna move some weight, like, I need something a little bit angry, possibly a little bit scary. Um, you know, so something to get me fired up. You know, I can't, yeah. I can't do R&B. That's just not happening. Um, you know, Slipknot. So yeah, not Metallica. Uh, I mean, if you 
if you put on, you know, Inter Sandman right now, I would be super pumped to like, you know, pull a heavy clean or, you know, throw my ass under a, you know, a heavy snatch or something, anything, just move something big. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. Classics. Uh, Tex, do we want to kind of throw in some Wade's Army? Uh, sure. So, I mean, it's uh, November 12th. That's the big day. And right now we're standing, we just crossed $65,000 nice. uh, in, in total raised. And uh, I know you had your competition this weekend, yes. kind of uh, everything benefiting Wade's Army. How did that go? It went well. We ended up, we had 15 teams. And uh, I was happy with that. We raised some good money for Wade's Army. Um, I was able to kind of uh, give the the athletes at that event um, just kind of discuss, you know, what neuroblastoma was, what we're up against, um, gave the background history to uh, Wade DeBruin, um, talked about how his father's prepping for the workout. Um, I ever, you know, I, I said that we were going to be doing the workout and there were some other um, athletes from CrossFit gyms as well and encouraged them to uh, participate in that and gave them some literature on, you know, Wade's Army, uh, the website and Power Athlete HQ's website, just so they can kind of um, you know, do their own like little research on it and uh, encourage them to, to do the same thing on November 12th, you know, just to kind of attack that horrible disease. I mean, I can't help. Every time I think about the story, man, it's like I look at my own little girls and I'm like, man, you know, uh, what a what a heart wrencher that would be. And um, in, in, some, in some way, I feel like by, you know, taking these steps and and working with you guys and kind of just going the extra mile on my own, I feel like I'm, I'm helping, you know, and it gives me some uh, gratification in that. And I know we got a lot to do, but still, we we did better than last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. kicked last year's ass. So every year builds upon that, and um, you know, it's that to me is progress. Oh yeah. People helping people. Yep, people helping people. Well, you know, every year we go on, we just get more and more notoriety and more and more people learn about it, and then we can kind of find new new ways of marketing. I mean, that's been, like, a, a really big deal is how you get the word out. And, you know, uh, everybody has something to champion, and um, I really think that, you know, uh, you know, with as many people that are involved in the Power Happy Feel Strong kind of deal, uh, you know, that are parents that have kids, that this one really hit, you know, close to home. And, um you know, like uh, like Danny said, you know, it hits even closer to home when you look at your kids and you realize that these people had, uh, you know, the DeBruins and all these, uh, you know, families have to go through with their children. And, you know, if we can help and, and just keep bringing, um, you know, information, money, resources, and just, you know, getting the word out. I mean, I, I would love in a couple of years to be cool if, you know, this thing was big enough to, like, you know, like something like where, like, the season, Susan B. Uh, Coleman Foundation is able to partner with the NFL and, um, you know, really be able to, to get the, the message out and, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, Wade's army will have some some legs like that one day. Yeah. So, Ange, um, uh, you know, I mean, I was just like flooding Facebook with all that stuff, but like the um, Wade's army uh, that the charity goes to benefit like neuroblastoma, which is uh, pediatric cancer. Mm-hmm. It seems to seems to hit like what is it, John? Like five five year old and younger and. Uh, no, it's, it's uh, like kids under three. I mean, it really affects, like, you know, I think it's the largest, uh, um, you know, cause of death for children under that age and inflicts, you know, uh, 
uh, all these you know kids at a fairly young age, and you know the first time they get it, if they can fight it off and keep it uh, at bay and remission, you know, they got a pretty good chance. But if it comes back that second time, it's like a 97 percent um, chance of uh, of uh, fatality. So um, you know, and these little kids uh, you know end up you know contracting this deal, and it's a, a pretty aggressive cancer that forms in the nerve tissues, and there's only like six places in the country that have treatments for this. So these parents. You know, end up loading up and driving and put the kid in the hospital and sleeping in the car and, you know, just like, like helping their child fight this deal. And, um, you know, you start hearing these heart-wrenching stories about it. You know, that's when we were like, you know, we got to try to do something and uh, yeah. definitely bring, you know, more efforts, more money and more, not or not necessarily notoriety, just more message and just open it up to this deal. So it's um, it's been very, very rewarding and uh, hopefully this thing just continues to grow. So it's been great. Tex, what's the what's the plan moving forward? I mean, we are less than a week out from the day, so we have next Wednesday, um, and I'm sure a lot of gyms and teams around the country are getting prepared to take on Wade's Wad. Uh, so what's uh, what's the plan of action moving forward? Uh, right now, it's just recruit as many gyms as we can to program it, and then our last flashed fundraiser is going to be on Wade's Day, uh, kind of in the last rung. For um, it's probably going to be 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. East Coast, kind of get hit those classes, maybe even later to get the West Coast. I mean, why even stop at six hours? Um, just to kind of motivate people, if you want to participate in this thing, a drop five, ten, fifteen, uh, whatever it is. If you wear a shirt, most gyms are offering you a free drop-in. So right now, it's recruit gyms to program Wade's Wad, Wade's workout, and uh, just kind of spread Wade's day the best we can. And I think long term, we want to, you know get out of uh, this this whole gym and CrossFit thing and expand beyond just the workout and make Wade's day, you know, more than more than just that. Yep. And if anyone is in uh, Southern California and Orange County and wants to do Wade's Wad with us here uh, at HQ, we're going to be opening the facility up at uh, for at 11 o'clock for the, the workout. So, if you're around and you want to take that on, otherwise, text where can people go to? I know there's a lot of people who've donated who work out, you know, in their garage gym, but this is a really a great time to bring people together over such an amazing cause. Where can people find the resource for finding hosts of the workout? Uh, it's it's going to be wadesarmy.org. Just on the blog roll, I'll uh, I'll repost uh, all over Facebook and Twitter for us. And uh, just gyms have opened their doors all over the country, from East Coast, Midwest. Uh, Texas, California, Canada, all over. So uh, every list that person has been in contact with me that is programming it and opening their doors, uh, they're up there. Even Will Jones's garage in Ohio. So Troy, Ohio. Fantastic. Um, anything else, Jenny? I think we hit everything on the docket. Uh, Angie, you have any plugs that you want to throw in there? Uh, you know, off the top of my head, nothing specific that we haven't, you know, already gone over. I mean, I hope to see a few of you guys at the new Aleco Olympic Weightlifting for Strength and Conditioning Coaches course that will be launching this January. Absolutely. Yeah. We will definitely, um, you know, as soon as you get that information, just forward it to one of us or to the, the email chain, and we'll for sure throw that up. And, you know, we look forward to seeing you there and gaining, uh, gaining some knowledge from from the seminar. It sounds amazing. Uh, that would be awesome. And uh, if you're in the Midwest region and you're looking for Olympic weightlifting uh, events or clinics, if you check out BeastusAthletics.com, you can find all things Olympic weightlifting in the Midwest. Beastess, as in the female version of a beast. 
You're darn right. <laughs> I like that. All right. Cool. Well, um, well, thanks, guys, for everything. And, Angie, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the show. Um, certainly a wealth of knowledge. And uh, just selfishly, it's awesome to see, you know, more females in this business, especially somebody as successful with all the accolades that you have. Um, you know, I'm excited for your progress with the Aleco seminar, and I'm, I'm have no doubt that it's going to um, yield some great results. So, thanks for thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, and thanks for being a, a fellow estrogen in a world full of men. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Is she talking else? to me? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Your hair is deceiving. I don't know. Your estrogen comes in my eye. Cool, guys. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, All right, Ange, thanks. We'll keep in touch. Thanks, guys. All right, bye. 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 You've just been listening to Power Athlete Radio. For more information on this podcast and to check out our online training resource, please visit www.powerathletehq.com. Did you know something we consume every day was once considered a performance enhancer? Find out what food was banned among athletes of antiquity when we host archaeologist and professor of ancient sports, Dr. Stephen Miller, in the next episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye!